the first thing I would say is stop looking at list price like it even matters. We're trying to remove that from our vocabulary on the team. We don't say things like overlander list. It is, it's an arbitrary term that has nothing to do with the way that the market is right now. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, welcome back. Hey, listeners, you guys are in for a treat today. Today, we are doing a super special state of the market where I have five of the heaviest hitters that we've ever interviewed on the show on here talking about real estate and what's happening. I'm getting messages and calls and emails daily from people saying, how do I get my offers accepted? How do I survive in this market? Is it as crazy for me? Really, because so many of the people that we interview on the show are like, hey, I'm killing it and I'm crushing it. And we're getting a lot of listeners that are saying, is everybody killing it every day? Is something wrong with me? And I think the reality is, is we're in a really, really tough market right now. And so the five people that I have on the show, and we're going to do some round robin, that's kind of talking about their market, talking about how they're succeeding. I've got Elliot Hoyt from Boise. He's one of the Realtor 30 Under 30 that we interviewed. I think it was in May or June of last year. We've got David Green, co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You guys have heard him on the show with me three or four times uh, over the last few months, sometimes on State of the Markets, also with his new book, Sold Out for Real Estate Agents. Uh, Diego Corzo, he's representing the Austin, Texas market. He's a real estate agent that has also bought and sold several houses for me, including the one that I'm standing in. Daniel Del Real is a great friend of mine, runs a real estate team in the Central Valley in California. Tons of agents, tons of transactions out there, famous for his bows on doors. Every time they sell one of their houses, they put these bright red bows on the doors and it is their signature known throughout the Valley. And Kimberly Meserve out of Boston, Massachusetts. So Kimberly was pretty famous right before COVID hit as doing these first time home buyers, brews, meetups. She totally had to kind of transition that during COVID, but is a kind of a first time buyer specialist. So happy to have her from Boston, Massachusetts as well. And they will correct me on all the stuff that I get wrong here, but I'm just going to try to do the best to get them in front of you. So as I get started, I'm just going to kind of pick different guys in and talk about what's really going on out there and how hard they're working to succeed. So Diego Corzo, you're up first, buddy. So the, when, when I was looking at statistics, I was talking about it a little bit before Austin, Texas right now, we are at 0.4 months of inventory. 12 months ago, we were at 1.7 months of inventory. So it was a hot market 12 months ago. And it's an, obviously an even crazier market now. The median price 12 months ago was 305000 Today, it's 365000 It's up 20% over the last 12 months in sales price. Is that what you're seeing out there? And as a buyer's agent, are you getting any deals accepted right now? And if so, how are you getting it done? Yeah, so everything that you said is completely true. It's crazy to think that the market has gone 20% has has increased right 20% yeah. in the last 12 months but now what we're seeing is something that we've never seen before everything the market has changed since January of this year of 2021 where now we're submitting offers 20% over asking price so i've gotten 
I've gotten two under contract so far on in the last couple of weeks that we did have to submit. One was 80, one was like 80,000 over asking, 50,000 in earnest money and closing, of course, in like the 25 days. But we lost like six or six or eight other offers before that. And there's a lot of cash buyers coming in from California. A lot of my clients right now are from California too. So that's something that's very, that we are seeing is that the people that are buying right now, they're not really from Austin, is more people from California that do have the money to put in 100,000 over asking because that's the norm now. So if you're going to write an offer for over asking, and I think that's common. I mean, I saw Kimberly make a post not too long ago that she was like a couple hundred thousand over asking on something and didn't get a reply or didn't get accepted. And so how do you determine if you're just going to go over asking? It's like impossible to comp right now because you're kind of, I remember this back in 05 and 06, it was just kind of choosing these arbitrary numbers. How do you determine how far over asking you're going to write that offer, especially if you're only getting like two out of six accepted? Yeah. So usually what's my, my conversation with the, with the agent usually starts at like, if we submit an offer, let's say that the property is on the market for 235, right? Cause this is, this is exactly what, what happened. There was an offer at 235. I knew, and it's a three bedroom condo, nothing crazy in Cedar Park, not, not even in Austin. So I asked the agent, hey, uh, would an offer at 50,000 over asking, let's say 285, would that start a conversation? And if she says yes, then sure. If she says no, not even close, then we have to submit higher, right? We were able to get this one at 305. Now, that's what conversation with the agent, but with the buyer is super important to let them know that right now in Austin, there are no comps that will support that. So I tell them, you are either going to be your new comp to play the game, or you cannot play the game. And we'll see what happens later when somebody else buys that, then another home is going to go on the market and you might have to pay 50,000 over. Now, the reason why this is important is because we're, we haven't been like California where everybody knows that you might have to submit 50 or 100. That's the norm. In Austin, it's not. So you have to like, it's like the new floor. What's what's happening right now in Austin, which is something that there's never been. That is so well, you're like, if I offer 50,000 over asking, will you at least call me back? I, mm -hmm. That makes me feel way better because we wrote like, you know, 50 cash offers in the last week, full price within hours of them coming out. One of them comes back today with over 20 something offers. And, but these guys at least replied back and said, no, you're not getting it. We have 20 out. But I had so many where no one would even call me back at full price cash. And you're saying that's because that's a shitty offer, right? You got to yeah. really work harder. So the, let's jump over to Kimberly for a second. Kimberly, thanks for joining us. How is it out in Boston right now? Thank you for having me. I'd say we're kind of similar to what Diego's experiencing in Austin. I crack up when I hear friends of mine in other parts of the country where they're like, we're having to offer 5000 over list price. I'm like, That's, I would win every offer. We are actually experiencing a really unique market here. So I'm kind of telling people it's like, it's almost like a tale of two markets. So when COVID hit, nobody wanted to live in the city and we saw like an exodus to the suburbs. So the Boston market, like Boston itself, we actually have more month supply inventory than we did this time last year. So we're close to three months, which is totally different than what's going on in all of the towns that touch Boston. In the suburbs, it's insane. 
we are seeing like days to maybe like a week to a week and a half worth of inventory. Um, I was looking at a, a house with one of my new agents helping him comp it out the other day. And there was, it was the only single family house on the market in the town. And this is the town just right outside of Boston. And there was like three days worth of inventory. So the conversation that we're having to have with a lot of our clients, and when I meet with a new buyer now, like Diego was saying, the market has changed even since January. Whenever I meet with a new buyer, it's basically like, are you willing to pay 10 plus percent over asking, waive your home inspection and waive your appraisal? If you're not, if you're not I'm not the agent for you because I don't want to be taking on clients right now that I'm, we're just spinning wheels because they can't get offers accepted. So your business, at least a year ago, was focused on first-time buyers. Like almost all of your leads were first-time buyers. Like you were generating a ton of leads from people, like teaching them about the home buying process. And then they would come to you and say, help us out. Is mm -hmm. that, have you had to change that? Or are first-time buyers, do they actually have savings right now because of COVID where they can pay a little bit more? Has it been any different? Um, it hasn't been any different. I think what we're having to do is really just generate more leads. So I think of it like a funnel is like the more that you bring into the top of the funnel, then you're going to find the people that can compete. I mean, I have first time home buyers. This was a really eye opening thing to me when I first moved to Boston because I originally was from Southern Maine and I started my real estate career there. I have first-time homebuyers here that are spending seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars on their first home, and a lot of these guys have like two, three hundred thousand dollars to put down on a property. So uh, it's often like, okay, what do you have for cash? Are you able to make up a difference in appraisal if the property doesn't appraise? Maybe by instead of putting twenty percent down, you're going to put ten or fifteen percent down and use the rest of that cash to cover an appraisal gap. Yeah. Is it now right now in Boston, is it warm again? Is it snowy and icy? Is it, is it the crazy season or is it spring? We are having like a fake spring this week, but it was snowing last week. It's going to snow again this week, but we're not seeing like any type of normal winter market. It never slowed down. I've never been so busy as I was in January in December. And it's really just because the demand is so high and there's a lack of inventory. Um, the conversation we are having just kind of back to that question about first time home buyers is I think people are starting to reconsider living in the city and they're realizing like, okay, maybe there is a, a light at the end of this tunnel and I'm not going to always work from home. Maybe I don't want this ridiculous commute because we are known as having some of the worst traffic in the country. And even if you live a couple miles outside of the city, that could be an hour to an hour and a half commute to work. So um, the conversation we're having with a lot of people is that the opportunity right now is in the city. If you want to get a good deal, the good deals aren't sitting around forever, but there are still good deals if you're willing to be a condo buyer right in the city. You know, so that when I looked at the stats, it said that Boston went from uh, you know two months of inventory to one month of inventory. Like 12 months ago was at two, today it's at one. But that sounds like probably that's a little skewed because you're saying in the outskirts, it's actually only a few days. Maybe in the city proper, maybe it's a couple months of inventory. So it's averaging out because in the places in the city, and I think it's like that in the Bay Area, it's like that in San Francisco, where some cities are, are tougher. Well, the, that is, that, that's some great info, and we're going to get back to some more of that. So, Elliot, let's talk about Boise and what's happening in, out in Boise right now. What are you seeing in the market out there? Kimberly touched on most of the stuff we're seeing out here, to be quite honest with you. It's been, it's been tough. If you, the exact same situation, if you don't have the ability to make up a significant difference in appraisal, or you, you can't waive an inspection, 
there's not really much point in even trying. I have a buyer's agent um, as well that I, I do tend to send more of the first time home buyers to um, just from a time perspective. So I can kind of, you know, delegate my time more efficiently. But really when it comes down to it, I think one thing that, that I could probably touch on here is setting the client's expectations up up front is the biggest thing. There's some properties and some circumstances where you won't even go and look at them. If you have an older homes, for example, Boise, downtown, the kind of the, the main city area where people want to be, sometimes you have to not honestly steer clients away, but you have to educate them and understand there's older homes there. A lot of people that have a lot more money and a lot more means are going to waive inspections because they can deal with the problems that you can't. So there's no point in us falling in love with a house that isn't going to be realistic. So really, it's kind of setting the expectations up front so the clients don't get tired of going through the process. Um, and it's funny because our uh, we, we have um, a lot of trainings in the brokerage for newer agents. And it's funny over the last 18 months how the, the coaching with, with the newer agents has gone and how we've, we've gone from saying, well, you know, 18 months ago or two years ago, if you had to submit more than maybe two or three offers, there's probably something in your process as an agent that was wrong. To now, it's, oh, if you can get them under contract within 10 or 15, you've done a great job. Um, so it's just it's wild to see that transition so quickly. And you have to try and get ahead of it and try and try and figure out you know, what it's going to take to get each, each deal done. So That's such a good point. Yes, it used to be if you wrote a few offers and you didn't get it accepted, you weren't doing your job. And now you have to write so many offers to get it accepted. And what I'm hearing a lot of you guys saying is you're having to be more selective on your clients even. It's so much about client. It's more about client management right now. Maybe not more, but there's, there's so much more about client management right now than there used to be. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. RentReady is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many coming. They aren't going to punish you when you grow. They're not going to charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're going to charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50, that's Rockstar50, and sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. So about a you know, when I interviewed you last, Elliot, I think you just had an assistant in the office. I didn't, th- I didn't, I don't think you had other agents. And then from watching you on Instagram, not only do you buy all the coolest cars and all the most fun <laughs> things, but you've been, which is a whole another story. Elliot and I share a lot of uh, personal uh, things that we like in life. 
but the but now you have a couple other agents that are that are working for you too. You have a, a buyer's agent and an extra listing agent. Yeah, it's funny how uh, we. I remember we had that conversation. I think that at the kind of the midpoint or beginning of last year, how I was talking about growing a team, and you know that was kind of the new focus. So there's myself and Shalise, who's my operations manager at TC, kind of evolved from being just an assistant to that. Then I have Casey, who's my marketing director. She deals just with marketing for listings. All the, all the things that I can't do and create, she does basically. Then I have Dusty, who's a buyer's agent solely. And then Devin, who's more of kind of like a partner to me. Devin will deal with listings, but deals with buyers as well. Devin was actually licensed in, in California and he's coming up from Hermosa Beach and he's brought a pretty big funnel of clients, which has been great for us because these are the kind of buyers that you want to work with who have an, I was in abundance, but significant means, you know, instead of trying to fight against the people coming in, there's been a huge, huge influx of Californians um, and Seattle, those kind of areas. Instead of fighting against that with locals, I've kind of branched out to be able to, okay, let's, let's tap into that funnel and have those buyers and try and make them our own, help those guys. And then I have Dusty helping with the locals a little bit more. So I've kind of split my time to do both, um, basically. So yeah, there's five of us right now. And it's worked out pretty good to this point. Yeah, growing a team during a time when the inventory is down so tight, the uh, hopefully we get some time to chat about that too. And all the people that I think are moving to Idaho because of the COVID laws uh, and because of everything yeah. out there. When we were on our, we bought an, uh, an RV in August and started traveling to go interview people on the road and see what was really happening out there. And when we got to Idaho, that was the first place we got to where arcades were open. And restaurants were, I remember my kids just going like, dad, can I go to an arcade? Like, can I actually touch an arcade the video game again? And we met a bunch of people there that were like, no, we're like, we're moving here because we can go do soccer tournaments again. And we're moving yeah. here because we can do that. So I'm sure there's a lot of extra shifts that are happening. Let's jump over to David Green for a sec. So the, so David is the co-host of my second favorite podcast in the whole world, the, but only because I am biased. I get him on our show as often as we can. He's also a great friend of mine. Are you going to be at the GoBundance event next week, David? Yep. Scheduled to be there. Awesome. So I will see you in, in Squaw Valley in less than a week. It'll be fun to go hang out. So right now you're in Cabo. You're there with your team, right? You, you, you flew your whole team out there for kind of a team retreat. But I saw, I saw on your Instagram, you guys were closing deals by the pool yesterday, writing offers while you were sitting poolside. That's exactly right. We hit our goal for 2020. So I told everybody, you know, I asked they wanted as a reward if we hit our goal and they all set a trip to Hawaii and Hawaii ended up not working out because of restrictions and, and the travel stuff that made it tough. So we ended up coming to Cabo instead and they knew the deal is our clients come first. So we still got to work when we're here, but everyone's been saying, I like working from the pool in Cabo more than the office in Brentwood. Yeah. Cabo is a lot more open than Brentwood. So the market you focus on, so I think of you as like East Bay, but is that right? And what County is it? I started East Bay, which would have been like Contra Costa County and Alameda County. I'm now in San Francisco, the South Bay, like Silicon Valley, San Jose area, the peninsula going into San Francisco. Some in the North Bay, which would be like the um, like Napa area, Marin County, and mm -hmm. then a lot in Sacramento. Kyle kind of covers the Sacramento side. So the whole team right now has about 50 houses in contract. I'd say Kyle probably has 10 of those in the Sacramento area. And we're at an evolution now where each of those head agents on my team, I'm building teams underneath them to support them. And that's how they're able to be in Cabo while the rest of the people are still in California doing the work. So tell us about the market in Sacramento and how is there... A, so right now it said... Santa Clara home values have gone up 14, Santa Clara County home prices have gone up 14.4%. But the, the median price for a single family home in San Francisco 
is down 6% month over month. So, yeah. so, so the, the home values inside the city of Sacramento or San Francisco went down 6.9% since last month, which is kind of like what Kimberly's talking about. Like in the city of Boston, you know, there's some exodus. In the city of San Francisco, there's an exodus, but the Bay around there, I've heard of a lot of people moving to Sacramento from the Bay because of affordability. Is Kyle seeing that or is it mostly local people that he's working with over there? I think there's some of both. You get some Bay Area people moving to Sacramento. You get some people that say, I'm only approved to buy a house at 450. So that's that's the options. Where can I buy? And I say, well, there's still a lot of good opportunity in the Sacramento area. But Kimberly was, was dead on. When you're an agent in a market like this, what you have to understand is there's always an opportunity somewhere. Even in 2010, when we, it was a terrible market, you had an opportunity with REO, with short sales. What we see, the reason San Francisco is doing worse is that it, the whole city shut down. There's no reason to live in San Francisco in a tiny little closet if there's nowhere to go. The South Bay's opened up more, so people are moving there. Sacramento is pretty opened up and you can get a lot of house. So kind of understanding what economic and political decisions are being made that affect the quality of life in different areas helps you advise your agents when they have or your clients when they have these questions what should i do we see a huge huge rush of people that are trying to sell condos and get into houses right now that's a really big pattern that we're looking at in the bay area yeah where do you think the biggest opportunity is in the bay area or in northern california for for buyers like where where are they going to get their are there are there places to get better deals or strategies that they need to follow yeah, you want to kind of look for the areas that most people wouldn't just would naturally not think about. So there's a city called Concord in the East Bay. That's about 10 minutes from Walnut Creek, which is a really nice area. Concord has kind of been hit and miss historically. There's some good spots. There's some bad. As you people that can't afford Walnut Creek anymore getting pushed into Concord, they're bringing up the quality of that city. So that's when I like to push people to Martinez right next to it. Same thing. Vallejo, there's a lot of opportunity for house hackers. There's a ton of properties in Vallejo that you can live in one side and rent out the rest of it. And there's some gentrification going on there. So it's really something where you have to have a personality as an agent that can guide your client. Like, here are your options based on what you're saying. Here's what we should do. And we can still get you a house if we go after it this way. When you don't do that and the client just goes on Zillow and looks at the house that just got listed a day ago, that's in the hottest market ever with the great pictures, they think they have to go get it at, at list price. And that to me is what's separating the agents who are doing well from the ones that are not. We're not letting our clients tell us what, what they want. I mean, ultimately we're going to do what they say, but we're advising them and educating them. Here's why that's a bad idea. Here's what would work. And then we use data to sort of prove that. Yeah. Makes it makes a ton of sense. The jumping over to Daniel Del Real. So Daniel, the I think you first met my brother bidding at auction years ago. It's like 2010, 2011. And, the, and since then, you and I have gotten to become great friends and got to travel all over the world together. The, but you have a big real estate team out there. And like, like I mentioned at the beginning, you are famous for your, your bows on doors as one of those things you do. How many agents do you have in your office and how many transactions have you guys done in the last couple months? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think it's as as big as it can be, but we, we have nine agents now. Um, our goal is to do um, 420 sides this year. We did 315 last year. Uh, so we do move a lot of inventory. And I think going back to like when I met your brother at the courthouse steps, uh, part of being able to successfully buy property at the courthouse steps is you don't have, it's not knowing where the market has been, but where the market is moving. And I can't tell you how many times we bought a property and another investor would say, why did he buy that? But he didn't know that we just flipped one that's scheduled to close in the next three weeks that's going to increase our price point by 5%, right? So 
we we bought the inventory and we turned that inventory and we talked to one another about it. So as we were buying property, we we're buying based on where the market was going in our pending sales. It's the same thing we're doing right now. So we have we have over 70 listings right now, which half of those are in escrow. Like I looked at every single property we have in escrow right now, and there's a three to five percent appreciation in escrow right now. So when we coach our clients, we're coaching them based on what the market's going to be in a month. So it's our job to be be able to give them that data so they can make decisions. Just like when we did at the courthouse steps with, with when Matt was out there, where people were saying, why is he buying at that price point? Well, it's because we're looking at the data of what's happening, what's going to be forecast, what's going to be real in, in the next month. And then we just show them that. We don't tell them what they, what they uh, want to hear. We tell them what they need to hear. And just like Kimberly said, you have to categorize your clients on the ones that are willing to accept what the market is demanding from them right now and the ones that are not willing to take that. And there is a lot of investors in the courthouse steps that sat around for months and months and didn't buy anything just because they didn't get it or people that went away. But yet 2009 all the way to 2015, if you stuck around and you forecasted correctly, you were constantly buying property. And every property you bought, you always thought you overpaid for it, but you didn't because you made money on it because you knew how to forecast. So it's just knowing your numbers. In the Valley, you're seeing uh, prices increase just like you guys are seeing everywhere else in the world. Sacramento County saw 14% increase. We saw 20% increase in, in our county 5% of that happened in December. I hosted a group of guys at my cabin, Go Abundance guys, and we were talking about the increase that was happening in escrow. And sure enough, like we predicted, it was going to be 5%, and sure it was, 5% in a month, right? So being able to know those numbers is going to help you kind of guide your clients to where the market is moving now, where it's at, right? But inventory is low there. Inventory is low here, is here, like it is low everywhere else, you know? So everybody's having that same same struggle it's just a matter of you being able to articulate that enough to be able to forecast where the market is going and educate your client you know everybody's getting a big discount when it comes down to the the interest rates from last year being you know at four and a quarter percent to 2.75 that's a 15 percent price point difference for somebody somebody's buying a house for four hundred thousand, you could buy at 460 right then you got wages right yeah we, we keep focusing on the service industry being being affected but the wages haven't been affected in in the private sector in the public sector those wages are still going up now if you really think about somebody being qualified they're not going up 100 percent of what their wage is it's 45 percent. so if you take wage increases and then at the same time you take the the, the cost of the dollar to borrow it then homes are actually more affordable today at the price points they are today than they were at the beginning of last year. But you got to know those numbers to be able to educate your clients so that way they're making a decision based on on your information and your knowledge on the market. And you you really got to know that in the in the micro and the macro level. Dude, that is really brilliant. I, I, I love what you said about know where the market is going instead of where it is. Like I asked Diego, like how do you know how much to offer. We got really lucky. We bought a flip a couple months ago and we thought we were going to sell it for 155 and it was really, really tight, but we knew the market was tight. And at that time we knew we had one in escrow at 10 grand over asking at 155. So when we bought it, people were like, Hey, you overpaid. We're listing it this week for 185 because the, that there's been that many crazy sales. Really these markets make flippers look brilliant. Even like we can make a bad mistake and overpay and it fixes a lot of issues. I'm not, I don't think it's always going to stay that way, but for agents listening, Daniel's presentation there of saying, hey, in actuality, if you're making 60,000 bucks a year right now, you can afford a house that's 
more expensive than you could 12 months ago. And on those median prices that I was talking about, we had a 19% increase in Austin. In Boise, it was 16. Boston, it was 11%. Santa Clara County, Bay Area, 12%. You're right. Their buying power is 15% higher. Prices have gone up 12%. So you're saying, look, if you were going to spend 2,500 a month last year, you're going to spend 2,500 a month this year for the same house. That has to help bring buyers off the fence. So for for people out there listening that are having a tough time getting their buyers to come up and pay that extra amount, that seems like a great, great sales point. So the I'm going to do a, a couple of questions as a fire round and then just kind of open it up in discussion. So one of the questions is, if you guys know it, what is your current like percentage over list price stuff is selling for? Like, is there an average? Is it selling for 5% over list, 20% over list? And just anywhere that you're experiencing is okay. And then also within, on the same question, when it's your turn, what's the number one trick or strategy you're using right now to get your offers accepted? Kimberly, let's go to you first. Single families outside of the city, average of 10% over asking. Condos is different. I have a couple condos in Boston proper, either under agreement for full list or slightly below. Um, so it's just totally two different markets. And then in the single family market, you know, if you're not waiving inspection right now, you're not even getting in the conversation. So you had mentioned at the beginning, Erin, a post I had made on Facebook, I had some clients that put an offer in on a single family just outside of Boston a couple weeks ago, and they offered 126000 over list price. This is like a $600,000 house. So this isn't like in the millions. And they waived inspection. They couldn't completely waive appraisal because they didn't have enough cash, but they just said it has to appraise at this price and they'll make up any difference. And then if it's anything below that, they'll pay, I think it was like 50,000 over whatever it appraises at. So we had to get like kind of creative with the people that don't have the cash, but it ended up that there was 28 offers, nine of which completely waived inspection. They didn't talk to anybody that didn't even waive inspection and my clients didn't get the property. Wow. So that's like a 25% over escrow, uh, over asking. So you're saying you got to offer or 20, I don't doing my math, at least close there on the fly. So you got to go over asking strong wave, whatever contingencies you can. I like that. Elliot, how about you? What do you think? Pretty similar um, for the most part. It's somewhat anecdotal, but the last probably three since last week were at least 10% over asking. We were fortunate enough between two of us to get five buyers under contract in a week last week, which is really tough right now. So we're proud of that. The biggest thing that people neglect, I think, is is actually talking to the agent. I know it sounds crazy to anyone who's a half-decent agent to not talk to the agent. As a listing agent, I see so many offers from the same agents to week to week. If I list a property that's similar and they can put another offer in, they never even call. They're just shooting it across the hip. If you do not call the other agent to try and get any kind of insight about the seller situation that they're permissible, they can permissibly tell you, you're not doing your client the service they deserve. Because there's little tidbits when you call someone. I had one last night, for example, um, submit an offer. Long, long story short, this seller is in a situation where they, they need money and they need a, a pretty smooth, easy transaction my buyer was cash and they do have two offers on the table that were above asking. We basically offered a, a, a very high non-refundable earnest money to be immediately released to the seller and gave the seller a 14 day rent back. Um, now, obviously we, we did waive the inspection contingency because we felt good from, from that part. But the key there was I spoke to the agent, had a good, good conversation. He explained the situation the seller had and we had to figure out, wait, okay, how can we get creative? How can we give this man some money up front now to beat other offers out? And, and that's really it. And the other one too, I'm not sure how it is for everyone else. Rentbacks 
are like are pretty standard right now because people that are selling, you know, below a certain price point, even if you have equity, they need a place to go. So if you can find, you know, your own buyer situation where they know how long they can rent their current place or they can sell their current place for, if you can offer rent back to a seller, that relieves a lot of stress for them. So that's one thing I've been seeing too. Rent back, higher earnest money, making things more refundable. You have to, you have to risk it to get the biscuit sometimes. Uh, you have to find out your client's, you know, threshold for risk, but you're going to have to risk something in this market. Yeah. What a great example. So you found out from them what the need was. Releasing, going high non-refundable is one thing I've heard a lot of people saying. Releasing it to the seller today, so they're actually getting to hold that, that definitely makes it more real, right? Because I think a lot of sellers are like, okay, they know after the inspection or whatever, if they cancel, I'm going to get that. But when it's held in escrow, it does feel different than a 50,000 bucks transferred to my checking account today. I had not heard of anybody doing that in the transactions. Diego, how about you? Uh, what I have done has been asking the agent or the owner. So there was a for sale by owner that we submitted an offer. We didn't get it, unfortunately. I think we missed it by like $5,000. But at the end of the day, we submitted an offer waiving appraisal because of the fact that I asked the seller if she had the previous inspection. And I was trying to build as much rapport as possible. And that is super important now. So she sent us the inspection report from a year ago or something. And that allowed my client to feel comfortable to submit an offer waiving inspections, right? So maybe they may not be online, like on the MLS or something, but by building rapport and asking the right questions, that can be something that might be able to help a buyer be able to submit a, an offer, especially without inspections and all of that stuff. Other than that, everything else that everybody has said, really, really good ideas from that perspective. Yeah. So back to the same thing of making sure you call the agent, making sure mm -hmm. you have the conversation. I'm failing as that. Remember, I'm, I'm an investor. I'm not, I'm not an agent. So, the, so I'm thinking cash used to be king. It used to be I write my offer and it's there. And you guys are saying if my agents aren't calling and, and asking them exactly what we need and where we need to go, I should not even sign those offers uh, if we're not going to be able to to make those phone calls. So uh, David Green, so the, have you sold a million copies of your book yet this year? No, I haven't sold a million. It's been out for like a month, but I ha it was the biggest release Bigger Pockets has had. And from what I've been hearing, the agents that read it have been very, very happy with it. So that's what matters the most to me. Man, I was super excited with how many issues of our Bigger Pockets book, Bigger Pockets was able to sell in the first quarter. And knowing that you crushed me in your first month and what we've done in the last six months is not surprising. But you continue, every time I send you an exciting thing of check out how many books we sold, you send me back how many you sold like last week. And then I'm telling you, mine was the last six months, bro. You weren't supposed to show me your last week numbers. So the so sold every real estate agent's guide to building a profitable business. When I look at it right now on Amazon, it's showing as like bestseller in all over the place. But you've had a few bestsellers. Burr was another one uh, that was pretty big along with the others. So stoked to see you on there. I know that's the first of a series. And when you release the next one, we're going to have you back for another state of the market. I digress. Back to you on yours. So what, what do you think your, your offer price compared to what they're, what, they're, what they're selling for compared to the list? And what's the number one trick or secret you would tell people to get their offer accepted? Okay. So those two answers are combined. The first thing I would say is stop looking at list price like it even matters. We're trying to remove that from our vocabulary on the team. We don't say things like over lender list. It is, it's an arbitrary 
term that has nothing to do with the way that the market is right now. It, agents often list their house way less than they know it's going to sell for. And sometimes they list it way higher than, it's going to, than it should sell for. You got to get your client off of thinking that way. The baseline for what a house is worth should not be the list price. Um, and, and if they can get past that, it makes it much easier to write for you're actually going to get. Because what buyers think is they're competing with the seller. I want to write a low offer. He wants a high offer. Let's see who wins. But they're not. They're competing with the 14 other buyers that want that house. And if you don't want it more than the other 13, then there is no reason to go try and get that one. Just move on to the next one. So what we do is we talk to listing agent and say, what price will get this done right now? And I try to get them to give me a number. If they won't, I say, would this number work? And I just make it uncomfortably as anxious as I possibly can to get them to say, well, what about this? Or say, yes, that would work. And it doesn't always mean my client's going to take it, but if they're listed at 600 and I say, would 680 do it? And I hear excitement in their voice, like Elliot was saying, that's why you have to have that call. Like, but they really go that high? Yeah, they, they probably would if I tell them, would you guys accept it today if we did? Well, I don't know. I have to talk to the seller. Our job is to get that listing agent to quit thinking that their job is to give a bunch of offer to their client and say, which one do you want? That's just the lazy way agents have done their job. That's not their job. Their job is to advise their client of what's in their best interest. And our job is to let them know, my client is in your best interest. We're going to give you a better deal with better terms and all the stuff people are saying than what you can get anywhere else. So strangely enough, many houses in my market, which might be the hottest market in the country, sell under asking price. You can't look at it and say, well, the average house goes 12% over ask, so that's what I'm going to do. Now you're back to the asking price is something that matters and the all houses are the same. What we do, my piece of advice is we look at the days on market. I try with every single buyer that comes to my door to not show them any house that hasn't been on the market at least two weeks. Ideally, four weeks is even better. When you go after these houses that have sat for a while everybody's on to the brand new thing that Zillow and Redfin and Realtor are all kicking out there and they're all chasing after the same couple houses. There's a very good chance you can get a house under asking price if you go after something that's been stale. So my advice to every agent is look at that day on market metric, set up your searches and say, only show me houses that have been on the market 30 days. Watch how fast that listing agent picks up their phone when you call. Watch how quickly you get a reply, right? It's a completely different ballgame. Your client tends to be happier. And if you can show them, hey, yeah, this house might smell a little fun or it might have you know, green shag carpet that you don't like, but let's negotiate a $6,000 credit that you can put a new carpet or something like that. Many of them are just waiting on us to paint that picture to give them permission to go after a house they can actually get. Yeah, that is some great stuff. So list. So should people, I, I was going to ask like, so if everybody in a lot of markets to over list, you have a different strategy. Like let's wait till it's been on the market a couple of weeks because then we're not fighting as hard and then we can find uh, the good ones. If like if list price doesn't matter, should 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 listing agents just list for the price that they that their seller wants, or is it is it lazy to list at fifty grand below? You know where you're going to get, or do, does everybody know like hey, this is just a placeholder to put it on the market? It's different with every house. Some houses, it's I look at them like obviously you're listed at eight hundred thousand. Every house sells over one point one. This is a this is an auction. This is not an actual deal. Uh, I think a lot of the time the agents do that to try to double end it because people will call them and say, is this really only 800? And then they'll try to work something out where they can do both sides. And other times it's a, it's a greedy seller that wanted an unrealistic price and the agent didn't have enough back to talk them out of it or thought they'd lose the deal. So they just agreed with the seller and listed way too high. Those tend to sit there for a really long time and those are the ones you can go after. I guess to sum up what I'm trying to say is you can't look at every, the market like you use the same approach every time. 
Every single house is a different puzzle that you're trying to put together. If your method is to shotgun a bunch of offers to people's inboxes and never call, like Elliot said, you don't even deserve to get a house. You've got to call that listing agent. You've got to ask them what their client wants, what they care about the most, and then try to use what they gave you to put the puzzle together in a way that will work for both sides. I feel like you guys are ripping on my shotgun offer approach here, and I'm totally going to have to change everything I'm doing with my strategy right now. Mr. Del Rio, the what about you? So the price, what's our sales price compared to list price? Does list price matter? And your number one trick to get your offer accepted right now. First thing, man, I want to know, does David breathe when he talks? I want to be as gills. David is a pro, oh, man. All right. The, he, so much passion like, about real estate. Like Aquaman or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also want to know how many, how many dogs Kimberly has, because uh, I thought I saw two cute ones from behind you. If you don't follow, there, there they are, hey, buddy. If you don't follow Kimberly on Instagram, you need to because it is mostly all of her dogs and all of her crazy trips. So she's doing real estate and then going on snowboard trips, and then real estate and then going somewhere else cool out there. But the uh, yeah, the two dogs. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, um, I can't get myself off of Clubhouse. I've been kind of stuck on that the last couple of uh, a couple of months. So <laughs> I got to <laughs> figure that out so that way I could start taking more trips. Hey, uh, so, okay. For me, we're doing 5% over our market. That's what that's what it is. That's what we have in escrow now. So we're projecting that we're going 5% over. Echo what David said is, is negotiations. You got to ask, right? And then you got to ask and shut your mouth, right? Because it, it, sometimes agents mm. tend to talk themselves in and out of deals. So you say, hey, when I get a call from somebody, what Elliot says is correct. Like 80% of the agents don't even call you, right? You're like an agent that's moving a ton of inventory. They don't call. But the agent that calls, if they were to say, hey, Daniel, what's your highest offer? And they shut their mouth. I will most likely tell them, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't. They're like trying to beat around the bush. And sometimes I think it's kind of funny. Of like, man, just ask me. Come on, just ask me. I'll tell you, you know? It's like a first um, Because like David said, our job is to get a our client the most we can for it, right? So that's that's something that that number one you can't overlook. That yeah, of course, no contingencies when it comes down to to uh, appraisal, making up appraisal differences, you know, reducing your inspection periods or eliminating them. One of the things away something around what Elliot said. Um, right now in California, we're seeing a lot of increased deposits, uh, but we got the liquidated damage clause, right? So it's like, what's the matter? Um, but one thing uh, to get around it, uh, food for thought, and, and I, you know, I had a conversation with our attorney yesterday about it, is uh, there's a lease option to purchase, right? You could do, hey, I want, I'm going to do a lease option for 30 days. Not, that's non-refundable. You release it. Say it's a $20,000 option to purchase in the next 30 days. You're releasing it, not part of the liquidated damages clause, right? So, I mean, you got to talk to your, you got to check in your own state whether you could do that or not. But I know that's happening a lot in the East Bay. There's, there's a couple agents that I've heard uh, that are utilizing that strategy pretty good that are moving a lot of property, uh, but a lease option is, is a good way around it because, uh, sorry, a purchase option, because if you don't close in 30 days, I mean, you're releasing that money anyway. So, so those are, those are the thing and just echoing back what everybody else said, but we're at 5% here and just ask the question and shut your mouth. The, I like that. Ask your question and shut the, because that is so we talk ourselves out of, uh, out of stuff all the time. When you keep going, it's like, if, if like nobody likes the awkward silence. So they say, how much does it yeah. need to be? But then if you don't speak in another second, they're like, or what can you tell me? Or, or what else do you want? The, um, you, see that, you see that in scripting too. Like I'll see, I hear agents all the time and they're, they're on the phone and they're talking themselves in and out of the deal. I'm like, dude, you got to shut up. Like let them answer. Right. So you're like, ask for the appointment. Hey, 
Oh, great. Does Tuesday 10 o'clock work for you? Shut your mouth, right? <laughs> Let them answer uh, because or else they'll just bulldoze through a conversation and they missed a closing. They miss an opportunity to close, right? So it's the same thing when you're talking to a listing agent. Yeah. What uh, good stuff. And I will, and I'm going to see you next week in Tahoe. The it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I get to get on, on stage next week. The, my first go abundance event was five years ago. I had just put my businesses back together and the, and Daniel Del Real and Aaron get to interview me on stage this year to talk about what the last five years has been like and see what stuff we might be able to share. So fun way to see the world turn around like that. The, my, the favorite part about running the podcast is I get to have awesome conversations with people like the five of you. I was more excited about running today's interview than I've been in a long time because all of you guys I talk to kind of all the time, right? After I had the like little chats on, on social media, uh, I feel like I've become friends with, with all of you. Some of you guys I've known for a while. Some of you I got to meet this last year and I get to follow all of your journeys out there. So people that are listening the, you want to go back and find the other podcast interviews that I've done with all these guys, right? As, as we go through and go find them on social media and everything else. And I'll do a, I'll, I'll do a last quick question. We've kind of gone longer than I thought, but we're still going to, we'll be under an hour for this podcast, but there's so much gold on here. I want to, you know, we'll do one last kind of prediction from everybody. And then after your prediction, I want to make sure people know how they can go find more of you. Instagram has been my go-to, but like Daniel said, he's big on clubhouse right now. So, so we'll go to, so Kimberly first. So Kimberly, we interviewed you last year as one of the 30 under 30. You're focused, you're focused on your buyers workshops. What is your big prediction? Do you have any predictions for what is the rest of 2021 going to be like? And how can people find you if they want to see more of what you're doing or have any questions? The rest of 2021. I wish I had a crystal ball. You know, I think in terms of the market, I'm hoping that we start to see some more inventory as people realize that they have to take advantage of the equity that they have in their homes in order to get out of forbearance situations. Mm -hmm. I also hope that rates stay low. I think overall, it's going to continue to be a good market. And I mean, I'm just focused on my own path and growing my business. So I don't really pay attention to what other people are doing as much. Best way to find me on Instagram at Kimberly Meserve or my team is at Street Property Team. That's awesome. And then how many, your first year of real estate, how many deals, you had a, a crazy amount of volume, either your first year or your second year. What was it out there if people want to go so, back to one? Yeah, well, it actually wasn't my first year or second year. It was my first year, my second Sorry, my first full year in Boston. So I moved to a new market in 2018, didn't know anybody, totally rebuilt my business from scratch. And then my first full year, I did 11.7 million in volume as a solo agent. Yeah. Awesome. So great strategies and stuff that we went over in that one. Elliot Hoyt. Elliot used to play college football at Boise State. Broke my heart a couple times as a big Oregon Ducks fan out there. But I can still forgive him, and we get to have fun chatting about all sorts of stuff. We got to interview Elliot last year, and, he, and like he said earlier, he's al already made his team way bigger. Elliot, predictions for 2021, and uh, how can people find you? I can't make many predictions for the, for the nation. I can only redo kind of in my market, like Kimberly said, I kind of focus more on the micro view there for Idaho, at least it's not going to be going down anytime soon by the looks of things. Our supply is minimal and our demand is growing by the day, by the hour, probably actually. So as long as the interest rates stay low, I think things are going to keep going in the upward trend. Um, as far as competition and prices, don't see much change at all. And it seems like across the country, actually, it's going to be pretty similar. Um, and if you want to find me, best place is Instagram. And it's Elliot underscore Hoyt. I post some pretty interesting stuff, uh, real estate related, and a lot of it's fast cars and 
me just acting like a clown. So uh, if you enjoy laughing at someone, that's a good one too. So yeah, that's, Instagram is the place for me. Elliot has more pairs of Michael Jordans than anybody else. <laughs> the, I've got two or three super old pair, but every pair that I have, Elliot's got like four of them uh, in his closet and a bunch of fun, cool cars and things like that to look for. So definitely go follow Elliot and we'll have, well, I'm going to have all you guys on the show again sometime soon for us to talk some more, but Diego, you're next. What is, uh, what's your, what's your crystal ball buddy and how can people find you? Yeah. I mean, I just like everybody, I don't have a crystal ball, but here in Austin, cause the, the Austin market is the one that I know is I still feel like we would be having that 20%, maybe like 20% people submitting offers over and over again. Uh, I feel like we're going to hit that new floor. And I don't know if that's going to stop anytime soon, just because of the demand of so many people moving to Austin from California, from, from New York. What, and we haven't even hit like that spring break time yet when people come here to go see homes, the summer market. So we're, we're going to be increasing a lot. The one thing that I would say is the new build market is one thing that not many people, like we haven't talked about it here, but for example, I have 29 homes under contract right now. And I think that 25 are on the new build side and the rest are resale. So it's sort of like that is what people can do use as their unfair advantage. But now we're even seeing a lot of demand on that with 300 people on waiting list going over bids now and all of that. So it's just uh, to answer your question is we are we are still going to be seeing, at least in Austin, a lot of demand just based on Elon Musk even saying a couple of weeks ago that Austin is going to be the next boom city for the next 50 years or something like that. So definitely something to consider there. Yeah, I put my money wherever Elon puts his money. The I'm a, I'm a, bit, of, I'm a, I'm a bit of a super fan. Diego, how do people find you if they want to talk to you? People can find me at Real Diego Corzo on Instagram. All right. The Mr. Green. People can find me at David Green 24 on whatever social media they like. And remember the E at the end of green. Awesome. And then any predictions, any crystal ball stuff? Yes. We all like to say we don't have a crystal ball because nobody does. But then who wants to hear that when they're listening to a podcast? They're like, well, tell me what I'm supposed to do. So here's what I think. I think the government is going to continue printing money in a somewhat reckless fashion. But that's what we ask for because we vote for politicians that do that. And so rather than getting mad about it, I think Robert Kiyosaki <laughs> has a great view. He says, I don't look at like I'm heads or tails. I just sit on the top of the coin and I can see both sides. And he makes his moves based on what he sees happening. So that's what I'm trying to do. I think we're going to print a lot of money. I think people are looking at 2010 and saying, well, there was a correction, right? It went up and then it went down. So I'm going to wait for it to go down. What we did in 2010 to get out of that was print a bunch of money. And now we've learned like, hey, whenever my body's tired, I can just do a bunch of drugs and I can keep it awake. And I kind of think that that's what we're going to be doing. So I'm anticipating inflation. I don't know that, but I think that not taking action and waiting for the market to go down might be riskier than paying over listing price and, and having your ego take a little bit of a blow. And then a year or two later, you look like you're super smart because the house has gone up so much. And then the last piece is I would look at exactly what Diego said. What cities are people moving to? There's a lot of Californians that are leaving here. They're hammering taxes on us or they're trying to right now because we didn't generate any revenue when COVID was down and now there's a huge deficit. So Californians want to go to a place where the climate is similar and there's no state income tax. So I'm looking at Texas. I'm looking at Tennessee. I'm seeing Florida, right? All these sunny states that have no state income tax. Look for the most liberal city in those areas because that's kind of what Californians are used to and that's where they're going to go. Yeah, I like it. Daniel Del Rio. Oh, 
remember, whatever the report for inflation is way different what actual inflation is. One thing I know for sure is that what was reported in the last 10 years compared to what my tenants pay for rent, where they were paying 1100 a month for rent on a 3-2, now are paying 1700 And you tell me there's no inflation? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. They're printing money. The same thing's going to happen in the next 10 years. I'm predicting a 5 to 10% growth in the Stanislaus County up to Sacramento County this year. Um, that is going to happen. I, I, I'm expecting uh, the people like Diego, like Green, like Elliot, like Kimberly, the people that are engaged are going to get rewarded, right? You constantly need to be engaged. You're going to see a growth of teams because teams are engaged in, 20, in 2021. Uh, but the market's going to stay strong. They're going to keep, keep printing money. And, you know, it's just going to continue to move forward. So I think there's going to be an increase of sales for sure. But there's not going to be an increase in inventory. So the agents that stay engaged and connected, you're going to see 29 in escrow like Diego, by the way, brother, that is amazing. Or like Green, he has like a million in escrow. The teams and the people that stay engaged are going to be rewarded. You're not going to see inventory increase because it's going to be gobbled up by the demand. But if you're engaged, you're going to be part of that. Yeah, what a crazy time if we're, I'm in escrow on a bunch of uh, new builds too. We've been trying to buy everything. We finally got to one before the builders released any of their houses. So there's six builders in a neighborhood and we, the listing agent told us he was about to release them. We made full price offers on all of them. So we're in escrow on a whole community of new builds. It's just to hold them all as rentals. But the And really, it's making me want to become a builder again. And I hate being a builder. When I go, I was a builder back in 05, 06, 07, and the world crashed and flipping houses became so much easier than building. And if a guy like me is thinking about building houses again, uh, that really means we're down on inventory and it is tough to get inventory. Well, like I said at the beginning, the listeners, I'm sure all of you guys had an awesome time listening to us. I learned a ton today. These guys helped me a ton in my strategy. The best part about getting to do interviews is to interview guys like these. And everybody on here are some of the favorite podcast interviews that we've ever had on the show. So remember, go back and listen to their other ones. Go follow everybody on the social of their of their choosing. Let's keep the conversation going. And if you guys have any questions, any things that we should, if you want us to get back on next month and have, answer some of the same questions, message any one of us on, on any of those social medias or email. Tell us what we should be doing and we'll get back together again and answer it. So everybody, thanks for joining me on the show. Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, 
how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. And if you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.